You're listening to a podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We will be looking at that in a few moments. Well, the new year, we're nicely into 2015, and I trust that you have had a good Christmas season. We kind of had a little bit of an interesting Christmas. Since moving to Kelowna, it seems every Christmas seems a little bit different. Well, this one was probably the, the most different that we have experienced because we ended up on Christmas Day in Las Vegas in, in uh, the, the later hours of Christmas Day. We were able to go through our family traditional celebrations. We included a bit of a walk, and I even got to meet a former Saskatchewan Rough Rider walking past my street on Christmas Day. Can you believe it? Bob Poley, anyone know that name? Anyways, a great name. I, I, I went walking by and I thought, is that Bob Poley? And, and Charles said, go ask, go ask. And I said, are you Bob Poley? And sure enough, it was. So I got to talk with a former Saskatchewan Rough walking by my street, right by my house on Christmas Day. And he even noticed the, the little signage on my truck and thought, there's a good guy who lives in that house. <laughs> I guess he was right. It was me. Anyways, we had a, I mean, I mean, ended up in Vegas for like a couple of hours, a bit of a layover that we had there. So we went and I've never seen Vegas and it was quite interesting. Just the little bit that we got to see for about an hour is we just did a quick little uh, taxi trip into Vegas and ended up in Florida. My in-laws took their entire um, family, 15 of us, to, to Florida on a two-week vacation and this was in the Naples area of Florida, and so we were there last week, and uh, the cousins are, are together. You'll see them. They are having a great picture. Let's just go on to that next picture. They were having a great time there in the ocean, and uh, just got a nice little action shot of them having a great time. The, the second week uh, in Florida uh, for them started yesterday as they drove up to Orlando, and I flew home to Kelowna and um, flew home to, to be with you folks here and to get things rolling again here at Harvest um, uh, Bible Chapel, Kelowna. And uh, we had one day in Miami, and that was extra special uh, with Israel and his wife, Marby, and their little daughter, I call her Meldina, but he didn't, he, he, I, I encouraged him to call her that. I was in the training center with him, and his wife was pregnant at the time, and so she, uh, little... Uh, Isabella Meldina is uh, actually, uh, I believe, six months old, and so we got to see them, and, and they launched about one month before we launched in Miami, and it's a Spanish-speaking Harvest Bible Chapel, the first one in North America, where they are non-English, that they are Spanish-speaking, and so just amazing just to spend some time with them, and we went and drove and saw the, the, the school that they're using for, for their Sunday morning services, and and just was so good to hear of, you know what, some of the difficulties, but also the provision of God. And just very similar to us, just seeing God's faithfulness and God's goodness in, um, in, in a, a fresh new church plant like this. And so it was so good to being able to spend some time with them. But being in the United States for New Year's was rather interesting. I've never done that before. And it was actually even a little bit crazy because there were just fireworks on New Year's Eve from about 7.30 in the night until I, at 4.30 in the morning, I still heard some fireworks going off. I mean, we went someplace to go see some, 
sort of a firework display. But we had one at 12 midnight right out in front of our house that went on and on and on. And, and I mean, from, from guys across the street, I mean, they let one off and it went flying over to just underneath someone's car. We kind of were hoping there was no uh, gas spillage going on there on, on that vehicle. But it, it was just crazy being there and, and seeing the celebrations. And, and so I trust you had a good Christmas and New Year celebration. And thank you to those who served last week and Duane for leading the charge last Sunday uh, as you had the service in, in the lobby area and I just heard there was a, just a wonderful spirit amongst the people there. And so, but it's good to be back with you. It's good to, to be back in Kelowna even though we've come home to now some snow. And um, we'll, we'll deal with that, I guess. It's, it's not like Saskatchewan where it's minus 36 this morning. So anyways, we'll take this. But there are different ways that we all kind of celebrate or mark New Year's. If we went around and asked people, how did you celebrate New Year's? We would hear all kinds of different stories. How many of you just went to bed early, even before the New Year's? Yeah, okay, a few of you. Yeah, quite a few of you, okay. Um, okay, reminder, next year let's have a New Year's Eve party and, and make you stay up till after midnight, you know, and... And, and so we have get-togethers, and, and then New Year's Day is often marked with a lot of college football, if you like watching that. Polar bear swims, a bunch of crazy people going into cold lakes for, for a nice little New Year's swim, as well as the world juniors. I mean, that is an exciting part of any kind of Christmas and New Year celebration. And, and so there's different things we do, and something that oftentimes people do at New Year's is make some New Year's resolutions. And I'm not even going to ask how many of you have done that because we, we oftentimes make these resolutions and, you know, oftentimes it's to quit doing something or to start doing something or, or to work harder at, at, at certain things and be more disciplined and more determined. And oftentimes it seems that a lot of our resolutions have to kind of revolve around, you know, our diet and exercise and caring for our bodies. And, but I saw this caption the other day. I thought this was quite funny. Don't blame the holidays. You were fat in August. (laughs) Yeah, that that, that was good. But we make other resolutions, you know, like, I want to be more loving. I want to be more kind. I I don't want to curse so much. I I don't want to be so negative all the time. Or I'm going to start going to church. Or I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to read through the Bible this year. I'm going to stick to a reading plan. I've tried it before and and I failed before. But I'm going to do it this year. And, And so the list go on of the different... New Year's resolutions or desires that that we can oftentimes make. And oftentimes the New Year is a good time because it's kind of a fresh start, a clean slate. It's it's the New Year after all, and and so we go into this kind of thinking a little bit, and and we really hope that that this year might be better than last year. And maybe some of you are saying, well, it couldn't get any better than last year because last year was amazing. Or some of you say, well, it couldn't get any get any worse than last year because last year was awful. And, and so it's across the board where we're at with this. But all of us, no doubt, for 2015, as you're sitting here this morning, not that I can read your minds or anything like that, but I know that probably for every one of us, we hope that it will be a good year, that it's going to be a good year, that we're going to see some significant growth or change in our life and, and see some great things happen. Sometimes these resolutions that we make last for an hour. Or they never even get any traction. Or say, I'm going to start exercising. Yeah, March comes and you still haven't started exercising. Or Sometimes they last a few days or maybe even a few weeks. And, and, and sometimes maybe it's something you're able to, to do and you're able to stick to. And, and, and that's great. All of us have these longings in our hearts for change. To grow, to, 
to get better at something, to stop doing other things. And, and someone kind of wrote, though, and, and saw on Facebook just right around the New Year's, they said, um, someone you could tell was fresh and perky and, and, and put, tomorrow is a new year, a fresh start. What are your plans? One person responded to this person and said, it's just another day on the calendar. And I just thought, oh, kind of like humbug sort of thing, you know. And, but that's oftentimes the way it is, that after a little while and you kind of set yourself up for a little bit and then it kind of doesn't go, it's just another day on the calendar, oh well. Just another day, just another year, just another decade, same old, same old. When are you going to get after it? When's it going to really kick in? How's it going to happen? Are you going to do it this year? It's up to you. The Lord desires to change us, to transform us. Because the gospel is the story of new life. The gospel is the story of change, of growth, of transformation. This is what the Word of God is all about. It's about new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Anyone who is in Christ is a recycled model? No. A new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Fresh start. The Lord desires to not only just give us a new start, but to change and to continually transform us more and more into His likeness. Now, many of us who have had some sort of spiritual influence in our life and have made some kind of spiritual commitments, we can probably, again, if we were to take time and ask, ask some questions, could count to a number of significant spiritual events that have happened in your life. Life-changing events. Salvation, when, when you prayed to receive Christ. Or, or maybe it was your baptism was, was a time of, of just solid just growth and, and just like, I'm, I'm doing this, like, I'm in. I'm going to go for it. Or maybe it was attending a conference or a retreat that, that just changed things for you and, and just kind of set you on a new kind of direction and, and, and God just really showed up and met you in an incredible way. Or, or maybe it was a life event. The birth of a child. Sometimes these life events are great and amazing that happen and, and it just changes us forever. But maybe it was a life event that was devastating difficult. And yet, God used that to, to draw you closer to himself and, and to, to change and to transform you in ways that you never ever thought possible. God has a way of taking especially, especially, especially the hard, the difficult, the devastating things that happen to us in our life and, and, and flip it around because it looks like it was meant to destroy us or, or to just totally just put us under the water. And instead, God, in his might and his strength, raises us up and gives us new life and new hope. I remember, this was a number of years ago when we were pastoring in Alberta, we had come through a, a good season and yet a hard season. And it just seemed there was attack, there was stuff going on, and, and I was just tired, I was worn out, and and I left that day, I left, it was a Wednesday, I won't forget it, I was heading off to go on a study day, I, I drove to a, another community to go to work in a library there, and I, I told Charlotte, as, as I was pulling out of the driveway, I said, something's got to change, in fact, I think I'm done, I think I'm going to quit, 
think I'm done. And as I was driving that day, the Lord showed up just in a powerful way. I won't go into all the details now, but it's, it's one that's still, I just, it, it, it was just one of those, those rare occurrences where the Lord needed to speak that day, and He did. And it was very clear, don't quit. Life didn't get easier. Circumstances didn't change right away, but there was a solid, just hear, hearing from God and just a solid reminder that He was with me and I was to keep on keeping on and keep going. And many of us can point to significant events that have happened. Maybe it's two, maybe it's three, maybe it's one, maybe it's, it's four or five, or maybe half a dozen or more significant, significant events. But the fact of the matter is that significant growth and transformation doesn't just happen in those two or three or six events that can happen in your life, but the real growth and the real transformation happens over the thousands and tens of thousands of little decisions in the little moments and the little choices, day by day, saying yes to God, saying no to self, saying no to sin. It's in these little decisions day by day that produces the ongoing transformation that becomes significant. But it takes time. And we like the quick fix. We want the instant. And God works on a different calendar system. He works on a different timetable. And it's in the little moments. It's in the thousands and thousands of little decisions we make. Well, I don't want to be like that. I I, I don't want to be like that person. I don't want to be like, people say I'm like my mother. They say I'm like my father. And and I didn't like that in them. And, And I don't want to be like that or... How am I really going to change? How is change really going to happen in my life? Do do I just have to have more discipline, more drive? Do I need to have some accountability? Is that how I go about changing and and, and things happening? Well, maybe you are. Maybe you are a very disciplined person. And so change and and, and doing better can can be a little bit easier. But maybe you lack discipline in certain areas and you kind of just keep falling and you keep stumbling and it just doesn't happen. You think, so is this how I'm destined to live the rest of my life? The gospel doesn't just offer just change of actions or reactions, but a changed heart. That we're just not learning to say and to do the right things, but to have a heart that is being transformed, that is being changed. Not just outward actions and saying the right things on the inside. We're saying the right thing on the outside, but the inside, it's all wrong. I mean, it's not sitting well with us, even though we're saying to other people that it is. He wants to change us from the inside out. And today I want to look at a prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians 3 that brings about that kind of change. This is how real change can happen. Real change in 2015. And it's a prayer in Ephesians 3, and Dwayne read some of that in our worship time. This was a church, the church in Ephesus that Paul had planted Years earlier, he loved these people, he desired to be with them, and he couldn't be with them because he just so happened to be in prison. And so he wrote to them, he encouraged them, and and he ended up in prison because he just wouldn't stop talking about Jesus and about the transformation that he brings. And this prison that he was in was no country club kind of prison. It was cold, dark, dirty. His body was beaten. This was a guy who just prior to this had been beaten, had been shipwrecked, had been homeless, had been left for dead on one occasion, and yet he keeps on going. And now he's in the, 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 the scum room of the prison. It was, it, it was just the worst room to, to be in. He was under, under 
guard. He, they didn't want this guy getting out because the, these guys kind of had a bit of an ability to seem to get out of prison. And so here he is in prison, and he's praying. He can't go out and speak the gospel to people. He can't go and plant churches. He can't go and speak in churches. But he's praying. He's praying for other believers. I am so thankful that there are those who, who, who don't even live in Kelowna or some who live in Kelowna but can't make it here on a regular basis. Some who have never been able to make it here on a Sunday morning but are praying for Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna. They're praying that the word of God would go forth. That's a beautiful, that's an amazing, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing that the body of Christ, that we can do for one another. Just as Israel, uh, Iglesias, my friend from the training center, their church is praying for our church, we can be praying for them and for their church and for God to do a work there. And so Paul is in prison and he's praying. And he's praying that the gospel would move forward. It would go deeper, not just into new communities and new regions and, and, and into new countries, but it would go deeper into the hearts of the people. That they would... Experience more and more of Jesus in their lives. He's, he's praying this prayer for people who are already saved. And he's not just praying a simple prayer of, Oh Lord, just, just bless them there in Ephesus. Just, just make it, just fix their problems, because you know what, they're having a few problems in their church. Or, you know, just, just give them prosperity. May their offerings be good, and may there be some good healings, and give them all a happy life as a church together. No, he, he's not praying for those kind of things. He's praying much deeper. He's going harder and deeper into things. And in this, he's swinging for the fences in what he's praying for them. And he's asking God for some big things for the people. And so we're going to read again the verses, uh, verses 14 of Ephesians 3 to verses... um, verse 19 to begin with. For this reason, and so Paul, Paul's getting, re, getting ready to tell him how he's praying for them. He says, for this reason I bow my, knee, bow, bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in earth and on heaven is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have together to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's not just praying for an easier life, or that God would give them more strength, but he's praying that they would have power through the Holy Spirit. He's praying that Christ would dwell deeply within their hearts. He's praying that they would be be str- that the, they would go to his strength. They would draw from his strength and from, from, from his power, that being the Lord Jesus. You see, so many of our prayers, let's face it, and I'm guilty of this, they're kind of surface-level prayers. And, and don't get me wrong, these aren't wrong kind of things to pray for, but, but we often don't, don't go for the big prayer. We don't go for, for kind of stay at the low-level fruit area, and we don't go for the big stuff. And oftentimes our prayers revolve around our health or the health of others and, and that they would have strength and stand up under temptation. And we pray for finances and we pray for relational unity in, in, in the lives of our family and friends. And um, We pray for, for safe travels. We pray for an upcoming test. We pray for a tough assignment that we're a part of. And and, and those are good things to be praying for. 
Or for us, us as a church, we, we pray for a lot of everyday kind of things. We pray for, for more workers to come alongside in, in helping and, and, and rolling up their sleeves and being part of the work here, whether it's in Harvest Kids or in our setup or our takedown, or we pray for our finances. We pray that, that our setups on Sunday morning would go smooth. And, uh, you know, and, and, and we, we pray for these kind of things. And again, I'm not minimizing these kind of requests. But what Paul is praying for here for these people that he dearly loved was that a greater and a deeper work would happen in their lives. That Christ would be established more and more in them. He's praying that their hearts would be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. He's praying, listen to this statement, he's praying that those who are finite, who have limitations, would be filled with all the fullness of the infinite God. That's quite a prayer to be praying for. And so, now we come to verses 20 and 21. This is kind of the crescendo of the prayer, or the kind of the doxology that you'll oftentimes hear. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And this morning I'd like for us to explore this statement. God is able to do immeasurably more. Amen? God is able to do immeasurably more. And first of all, I want this statement. I'd love for this statement when you walk out of here and this throughout the course of this week when life happens and, and this stuff starts to happen in life that, that you would remember this statement. And I want you to say it, and I'm going to kind of irritate you a little bit today because I want it to get through your head. God is able. Can you say that? Say it again. I don't hear you. Right on. Okay, God is able. That statement, if that would guide our thinking and our mindset over this next year, watch out. Facing overwhelming circumstances... Or a challenge, God is able. I'm going to get you to finish these statements because I, it, it's saying those three words, okay? Say it again. What is it? God is able. Okay. Facing fear. Facing the unknown. Facing illness. Facing disease. Facing financial difficulties. Facing relational issues. The lost people in your life. The lost people in our city. Oh man, you guys, are you believe, do you believe that? If you're, okay, raise your hand if you believe it. God is able. All right, good. Okay. I, I know it's early and you know you're, you haven't been, you've been singing for crying out loud. You, you know, like, come on. I mean, remember that old song? He is able. He is able, I know he is able. Do you remember that song? I know my Lord is able to carry me through. And it goes on. I'm not going to sing anymore for you because God's able to sing and he loves my worship. You may not like it so much. But he healed the brokenhearted. He set the captive free. He made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. If our God could do that in our world, on this earth, he can do whatever it is needed in your life in 2015. Amen to that? Amen. He is able, isn't he? Our God is able. He is able to do immeasurably more. Immeasurably more. 
That statement, immeasurably more, isn't in the ESV, the Bible that we, we commonly use here at Harvest. It's taken from the NIV because that's the way that I memorized it. I sound like one of those uh, from the previous generation. I learned it in the King James. Well, I learned it in the NIV. And so uh, when I think of this verse, I just love the word immeasurably more. Our God is able to do immeasurably more. Various other translations will, will put abundantly. King James Version, great Great wording they put here, exceedingly abundantly. Gives it two words there. God is able to do exceeding abundantly. Paul is trying to get across the bigness, the awesomeness, the more of what our God can do and is willing to do in our lives. God wants to blow our minds with his power in our lives. Just to the point where we can't even imagine. We can't think or comprehend what God wants to do. I remember the first time that I ever saw the Rocky Mountains, and it was a big deal. I was probably 12 or 13 years old. I grew up in Saskatchewan. I mean, it was so flat on the farm that we would spend our summers that when the neighbor's dog ran away, we could see it running three weeks later. I mean, because it was just so flat, you could just see him going, you know. And, and I mean, it, and, and so our family planned a trip to Banff, Alberta, the place where my parents went for their honeymoon. And so they said, we're, we're heading to Banff, Alberta. And so we were so excited. We're going to see the mountains. But I could not comprehend how big the mountains were. Being a prairie kid, growing up on the farm, spending the summers there, I mean, we would ask our parents, you know, like, how tall are the mountains? And, and I had the hardest time conceiving that the mountains could be higher than a grain elevator. Because that was my context. That's, that's what I knew. And a grain elevator, I mean, that was a pretty big, big kind of building. And, I mean, we would, would go there. My dad, we would go in the truck. We would dump our wheat there. And even one time, we got to go up on one of those dumbwaiter kind of things. I don't know why they call them dumbwaiter. But we got to go up on one of those things right up to the top of the grain elevator. And we got off. And you could look out the window. I saw the neighbor's dog, you know, still running. You know, I mean, it was so flat. And it was just like, wow, we are so high up. And so as we're getting closer to the mountain, we go past Banff and we can start to see these mountains, or past Calgary, and it's just like, wow, it's amazing. And my mom still remembers how quiet, there was about four kids in our family at that time, still a few more on the way after that, but the vehicle got so quiet because us kids were just, couldn't believe it could be that big. True confession, when we actually left the mountains, I, I, I started crying. I was so sad that we were leaving these, these amazing mountains. I mean, we were just awestruck. I mean, how could something be that huge? Wow. Folks, that is the same kind of thing that God wants to do in our lives. Mind-blowing, earth-shaking, work that he wants to do in us and through us. That kind of mind-blowing, immeasurably more power is available to you this year. He is able. How is it possible? He is able. The almighty, all-powerful God desires to fill you with all his fullness. And so, Here's some things you might want to jot, jot down. God is able to do immeasurably more because He is all-powerful. Because, you can write that down. I think those words should be on the screen. Because He is all-powerful. 
God is able to do immeasurably more. From Genesis to the book of Revelation, we see the mighty hand and the power of God at work. In Genesis 1, God speaks and the universe is created. Amazing. Psalm 33, 6 tells us, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Simply just by, He spoke it, it happened. The vastness, the beauty, the largeness, the billions of stars, the complexities of the human body. Take, for example, one of those irritating creatures that we get here in Kelowna. Uh, well, you probably get it all over the place, but I've really noticed it here. In the summertime, when you have fresh fruit that's out on your counter, what, what little nasty little pest seems to come along? There's little fruit flies. Just think about it, though. You just think of, of just the, the complexity in making one of those. I mean, those irritating little creatures, I mean, I mean, how difficult would it be for you and me to, to try to design one of those things, you know, that can fly, that can eat, and can reproduce like crazy? I mean, we could never come up with that sort of, a, a, of an invention. But God, I mean, you didn't even have to think about it. And it happened. Even fruit flies. I mean, and, and we can even go much smaller into the microorganisms and, and different complexities of the human body. God thought of all of that. I mean, we've come a long ways in, in robotics and different things. When we went, when we were in the Naples area on this tour, on this catamaran tour, and they took us out to kind of this island area to look for seashells. But as we were getting there, we, we went past all of these incredible homes. I mean, anywhere from... Three million dollars, those were the little shacks, um, and, and a little bit off the water, to homes that were 75 million dollars. It was amazing. There's three sets of, of, of these white houses that were one, two, three, one right after the other. The guy on the catamaran said, I've been here for, for doing this work for eight years. He said, I've never seen anyone in one of those homes, and yet everything is kept all pristine. And it's just this amazing kind of beauty that, that you see there, and, and, and you see these houses, and, and you just see these kind of things, the richness and the vastness. And, and I don't know where I was actually going with that illustration. It wasn't in my notes. What was I saying right before that? Anyone remember? God's all-powerful. And you see um, the, these incredible houses. But what was swimming around all, all along the, the whole canal system were these dolphins. I mean, yes, you had the beautiful houses, but it was the, these dolphins and and, and they're swimming and doing all of this. And then they point out, and, and this home here that's worth $25 million, this was a doctor who invented the prosthetic arm. And, and you think, wow, that's pretty good. But you know what? No prosthetic yet can do this. Can it? You think about it. J just think of what my brain is, is, is triggering, tr triggering for my arm to, to do this erratic kind of thing like that. And I'm telling it to do it. And I can just do it. They can't come up with a prosthetic that can move this fluently and this, you know what, I mean... Just can't do it. Our God is almighty. He is all powerful. He spoke the words of creation. He's made everything. He didn't make just a single drop of water. He filled oceans full of water. He didn't make just a handful of stars. He created billions of them in galaxies beyond our comprehension. He didn't make just little hills. I mean, the little hills that I knew of in Saskatchewan, I mean, right in the middle of Regina, there was a toboggan hill that we would go to in the summer or in the winter. It was called Mount Pleasant, and that's because it was established on an old garbage dump. And that's where we would go tobogganing because it was the biggest hill for us to go on. He, he just didn't make little hills. He made mountains, beautiful, rocky mountains. He just didn't make one kind of a bird. He made thousands of birds. 
There's no limit to his might, no limit to his power. And the good news, all that power is available to us today, to you. Why? Because he is able. Now, believe me, I'm just not here just to pump you up and, and to fill you with a whole bunch of, okay, he's able, and, and, and all the fullness and power of God, you know, and, and, and just kind of light and fluffy kind of stuff here. I want to give you some meat that you can dig into, and you can start applying this week. And, and so it, it goes on in verse 20, it says that, according to the power at work within us, and that brings us to the second part, God is, immeasurably do, is able to do immeasurably more in me. In you and in me. Just think the mighty, powerful God of the universe. He's at work in you and me. And depending how much we let him will determine how much power we receive from him. He is able to do immeasurably more in me. Just think what God can do with one life. Surrendered to him. Empowered by him. What can he do with your heart, with your talents, with your gifts, your abilities, your family, your work, your school? What can he do in all of these areas? Think of what he can do in your challenges and weaknesses, your problems and your disappointments. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who have loved him. He wants to blow our minds with what he wants to do in and through us. And so I know some of you are sitting here, sitting and think, okay, cynically, Okay, that sounds great, but not me. I've just got too much stuff. And, uh, yeah. Uh, well, listen to some of the people that God used in incredible ways. Throughout Scripture, Jacob was a liar and a thief, yet God was able. Joseph was abused, yet God was able. Moses stuttered, Gideon was afraid, Samson had long hair and was a womanizer, Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. I wouldn't recommend that. Uh, Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was cleansed of seven demons. The Samaritan woman at the well had five husbands. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy was sick and Lazarus was dead. And yet God was able to do great and mighty things in each one of them. God is able to do immeasurably more in you. Have you ever done a job, and I know some of you here, and I know the kind of work that you do. I've seen some of the work you've done. Um, have you ever had a job or a project or a presentation, or maybe it was a meal or a dish or, or, or something that you've made and, and it turned out amazing or... or or it, it, it's your career or whatever, and it just fits like a hand in glove. It's just like, I was made for this. I was made for making Christmas turkey just to turn out so well. I was just made to, to you know what, just build a house. I was just made to do this kind of work. And, and, and when the job is done, you just look back and say, wow, now that is a fit for me. And maybe it's a gifting or ability that you're serving the Lord with, and it's just like, this is just... Come alive. It's just like, this is where I fit. This is so good. And, and there's a joy and accomplishment in being able to serve the Lord. And, 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 you, and you get this thinking, I was made for this. This is so good. 
And, and I hope that you can find areas in your life that you just know, I was made to do this. And maybe you're not able to do it on a regular basis. Maybe, you know, it, it just isn't happening in your life right now. But you know that I was made for this. But you know what I want to tell you that each one of us was made for? We were made for something even greater than just what I told you about here. Or the things that, that, that you think you were made for. God has gifted you. God's given you abilities. And, and I love in, in the body of Christ, you have some who are really good at, at, at technical things. And, and even in, in, the, you know, at, in, in a church plant, I mean, God has just brought people together with different abilities and giftings. I mean, we have the technical people who run around with these gauges and with these you know, different things to, to take you know, at sound levels because they're still constantly kind of working on sound and getting everything working right. We've got the technical things because apparently two, our, our two screens were kind of out of sync for a while and it, it, it bugged some people enough that they said, we're going to do something about it. And so they, they rip open the, 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 the guides and, and, and how to go about doing it and doing some resets. So the screens are right. And, and we've got the technical people. I'm not this technical kind of person, but I'm glad that others are. And we get those who love taking care of the finances and those who are able to come and help serve and those who lead us in worship. And we have those who care out there for our children and, and for Harvest Kids. And we need to keep praying that, that God would just continue to, to bring more workers in, in that area. But uh, we have those who, who greet and love and, and we have those who just say, I'm here to serve. And it's just like, my best fit is just doing whatever needs to be taken. And I love it. I love the body of Christ in that way. But even more than those kind of things, we were made for something more than anything that may come into mind of what you think you might be made for. We were made for God's glory. We were made to reflect God's glory in all that we do. But here's the problem in all of this, is that we're glory thieves. We want to steal the glory. We want the glory. We want the, the you know what, approval from others. And our society, our culture, especially here in North America, teaches us to go for the glory. And, and we, we kind of like that cocky guy in sports. Yesterday I was watching a bit of the hockey game. I was watching the Leafs and, and the Winnipeg Jets, and they were showing Dustin Bufflin this. He was having a really good game. And, and they even said yeah, at one point, and I mean, it was just an awful little video picture of him. He, he was standing there. He was smiling because they were winning. And, and, and he had this, um, like, water and spit coming down from his face, but he had this smile on his face. And they said, just look at the swagger on that guy. Things are just going so well for him. And our culture loves that kind of swagger. We love the athlete who, who kind of is that cocky, especially if he's on our team, if he's on someone else's team. It kind of bugs us and grates on us. But, you know, I mean, we're a society that are so bent about, you know what, we're addicted to ourselves about our reputations, our incomes, our comfort, our convenience. And, and, and that's why everyone is so miserable on the face of this earth. We have so much and yet we're so miserable and we're stressed out, we're worn out, we're medicated out because it's not working. And it's because we were not made to be the glory people. We were made to reflect the glory of God in all that we do. And what is the glory of God? It's, it's reflecting His holiness, His splendor, His power, His purity, His worthiness. And here is a promise from God's Word. This is what this text is all about. That if you live for God's glory, first and foremost in your life, there's going to be joy. That's the hand fitting in the glove. Because that's what we were ultimately made for. When things go well, instead of taking the glory, we reflect it back to Him and say, thank you, God. Thank you for what you have done. And we, with humble hearts and, and hearts of gratitude, continue to, 
to give Him thanks and praise and continue to serve and to live our lives for Him. But how about when things don't go well? When there's suffering, when there's hardship, when there's disaster, even in those, and I could say even in a greater way, is an opportunity for us to reflect God's glory. Think of Paul in prison, suffering, beaten, coming to the end of his life with nothing, and he's joyful, he's happy. And he's longing to be with others, but he's continuing to keep on going. We're going to be looking at the book of Philippians in in the month of February and and through most of the ministry season um, throughout the end of the winter and into early spring. And and we're going to be digging into that. And basically, it's about having joy on the prison floor. Here is Paul writing, and he's filled with joy, and he's encouraging the believers to be be fulfilled to be filled with joy and to pursue joy even in the midst of, of difficult and hard stuff that they're facing. Here he is in prison thanking the Lord for what he's going through. Even in the hard times, we reflect his glory. How is Paul doing this? Because he has made a decision to live for the glory of God and for the glory of God alone. And oftentimes we see Paul saying, I am nothing, but Jesus is everything. But the greatest obstacle to the fullness of God and to what we're talking about here today isn't circumstances of life, it isn't the other people, it isn't that boss or, or that family member or that neighbor. That's not the biggest hindrance to your spiritual growth and, and, and to being filled with the fullness of the power of God. You know what the biggest hindrance is? It's your pride. It's my pride. We want the glory. We're demanding the glory. We want justice. We want our way. But it's a ferocious kind of humility that gladly surrenders to God in the good and also in the hard times. And that is where the fullness of life and the power of God is found. That's the hand and glove. That's what we've been made for. And whether life is good or whether it's hard, we have an opportunity to experience the fullness and the power of God in the midst of it. I've known great men and women of God who have suffered greatly and have reflected God's glory. I've known men and women of God who have suffered greatly and have not reflected God's glory. And the two are so different. Think of one of the great preachers, Charles Spurgeon. Some say he was the best preacher since the Apostle Paul. Great preacher, but struggled from discouragement, struggled at times from from heavy depression. His wife was sick, often bedridden. And yet he continued to, to reflect God's glory and his goodness in the midst of all of that. And God used him in a mighty and a powerful way. And God can use us wherever you're at when we make the decision, I desire in all that I do to reflect his glory. How will this give God glory? Is the question we need to be asking in our lives. And listen to Psalm 25, 9. It says, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. With humble hearts, we pursue His glory. He leads the humble in what is right. You want to be led by God this year? Have a heart of humility. Have a heart of just gratefulness to Him for what He has done. That is a life filled with the power, the blessing of God. Now look at verse 21. It says, where is this glory revealed? It says, well, in Jesus Christ is the last part. And obviously, I mean, Jesus came and he glorified his Father and, 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 and he showed us true power and he showed us humility and he showed us a heart of service. But 
It says, to Him be glory in the church. And so that brings us to our third and our final point here today. God is able to do immeasurably more in the church. I just came from spending one week with 15 family members from four different family units. And they're of Russian descent. And so there is some stubbornness there. I think every, whether you're Irish or German, I mean, everyone says they're stubborn or they're whatever it might be. But, I mean, you, 15 people, four families, that's a lot of personalities to be together for a week. And they're together for one more week. And last night, FaceTiming Charlotte and, and the kids a little bit, she said, yep, um, there's a lot of different personalities coming to play. There's a lot of different preferences. And this is how you do this. No, you don't make it like this. No, we want this to eat. We don't want that to eat. And, and you have all these kind of things. It can get interesting. Life together with other people can be very interesting. Whether it's family or whether it's a church. You have people from all different backgrounds, different experiences. Some who are new in the faith. Some who have been in the faith for a long time. We have some who... Um, read from a certain kind of a Bible and some who like certain kind of music and we have all of these different likes and preferences and different things like this. I heard this statement a number of years ago and I smile whenever I think of it. It says, there's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. There isn't. There's, because it's reflecting the glory of God when it's working right. There's power. There's unity. There's vitality. There's, there's people coming to know Christ. There are people who are being transformed and being changed. When the local church is working right as according to our New Testament, there's life, there's power. But that statement goes on to say, there's also nothing like the local church when the local church isn't working right. And when the church isn't working right, it's nasty. It's ugly. It's politics. It's division. But it says God's glory He is able to do immeasurably more in the church. God's glory gets revealed in the church when you put people from all kinds of different backgrounds and preferences and personalities and and, and even different nationalities and, and they come together to worship God. That makes a statement that we can unite together as we worship They come together and they they walk together in their relationship with Jesus Christ in accountability and Bible study and prayer. They come together in, in working for Christ. And when you worship and as you walk with Christ and as you work with Christ with other people and it's happening in in unity for the glory of God, boom, there's power. Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. There God bestows blessing. And it goes on to say, even life forevermore. And when there's disagreements and hurts, and that happens within the life of the church, whose glory are we seeking? Are we seeking the glory of God? We love one another. We forgive one another. We extend grace because we have been given love and forgiveness and grace from God. C.S. Lewis, the definition of a Christian, he said, is someone who forgives the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in them. That's the definition of a Christian. Someone who is walking with Christ. Someone who is able to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you and in me. In the primary place on the planet where God's glory is evidenced until heaven is the church. That's the way it's been designed. 
And the church isn't perfect, and it's full of imperfections and, 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 and troubles. And, and yet it's an opportunity to see God's power revealed with a humble dependence and obedience to God and to His Word. However, when, when Christians gather together as the church, and the church can become a real threat to Satan. Satan hates the church. He can't stand it when believers meet together and worship the King of Kings. He can't stand it when there's love and when there's unity and when there's forgiveness. He hates that kind of thing. When we worship and pray and teach and encourage one another with God's Word, the enemy just, he's going to stick out whatever he can to try to trip us up. He'll try to divide, discredit, destroy the work of God. And there's going to be attacks that have happened and will happen from the outside to the church of Jesus Christ throughout the centuries it's happened. Over the centuries, various governments and and political regimes have tried to destroy the church, whether it be communism. Now ISIS wants to destroy Christianity. Good luck! Oh, they can can make their threats, they can do their things, they can make, you know what, life miserable and, and cause a lot of fear. But Christ is building the church. And the sad thing is the enemy knows the book of Revelation. He knows in the end, the church wins. And so we're on the winning side. And the enemy knows that, but he's going to try to take as many with him as possible. He's going to just try to bring discouragement and and make the church powerless. So there's attacks from the outside to the church, but there's also attacks within. Attacks of disunity or gossip or unforgiveness or, or watering down God's word. Or legalism, making all a bunch of, bunch of hard rules, and this is what you do, and this is what you don't do, and this is what a Christian looks like, and you don't wear this, and you do this, and this is the version of the Bible, and, and make it all the, 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 these rules. And those are attacks from within that the enemy just loves because he, it's just kind of like he winds them up. It, it's like giving kids sugar. I mean, as, as, uh, as someone who didn't have kids, I enjoyed giving kids sugar on like Christmas Eve or different events at, at church or whatever because I could send them home all wired up. And then I got kids, and, and, and as we had kids, I, I didn't really like it when my kids would get wired up from other people's candy, and, 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 but now my kids are older, and I don't care if they, you know, I mean, well, I, I, I do care, but I mean, sugar it doesn't affect them quite the same way, at least not that I know of, um, but, you know, it, it's quite funny to kind of wind it up and then just watch it happen. That's what the enemy loves to do. He, he, he just loves to kind of just, just get you going on one thing, and then he just watches implosion happen within churches, within families. And, and he uses just subtle ways to go about doing it, getting in our heads at times. At times people think, I don't need church. I can worship God over on the, on the mountainside. I, I can worship God in creation by myself. And, you know, I can have church on my own. I, I don't need to be committed. I can kind of just, you know what, just be a free agent and float around. And, or, you know, I'm busy. I, I don't have time for church. I mean, We have treated church, the place where the glory of God can be found here on this earth, and we just treat it as another option in life. Well, I think I might go to church. I don't know. The lake might be kind of nice, or, you know, I might do this. Really? Really? When we have an opportunity to meet with the Almighty God and experience His power and His glory in, in, in a special way as the church gathers together? We just treat it as another option in our schedule, and maybe you've been burned by a church. Sorry. Jesus got burned by the religious too. In a sense, he got burnt by the church. Didn't stop him from continuing on and progressing and, and, and uh, pushing through that. Over the century, the church has experienced many dark and difficult days, but Christ continues to build it. And if we truly believe 
the truths of the Word of God in our lives today, and not we just as in Harvest or Harvest Kelowna, but any church that is, is taking God's Word and proclaiming it and not watering it down and, and, and just allowing that, that freedom that we have in God's Word, the, the mixture of truth and grace and, 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 and just being able to walk in, in, in obedience to God and to His Word. Any church that is proclaiming, any believer that is doing that is, is going to experience God's blessing. In fact, I mean, if we're truly believing this, I mean, churches should have a waiting list for people wanting to serve. Hey, I want to be a part of where God's glory is. I want to be part of helping God's glory to shine here on this earth. We should have more money than we ever know what to do with because there's just a freedom. Hey, God's blessed me. I just want to give back to him. And it's not because I have to. It's because I want to. God loves a cheerful giver. And I'm giving cheerfully. And churches should have an abundance of finances if we truly believed all of our hearts that God is immeasurably is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine in the church. If we truly believe these things, we would experience his power, his presence in our lives. And it starts today by taking those little steps of saying yes to him, living for his glory and not for ours. Remember, remember, God is able. Let's pray together. Your head's bowed. I'd just like to share one more thing with you. The, in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis in the book The Silver Chair tells the story of a young girl in the wilderness who is dying for thirst. And there's Aslan as the lion. And, as, and behind Aslan, there is a river that's flowing with water. And this girl, she wants to drink so badly, and, and Aslan is bidding her to come and to drink. But she's afraid, so she won't come. And Aslan tries to encourage her to come and to drink. Finally, she just gives up and says, I'll, I'll find another river. And Aslan says to her, there is no other river. Father, we recognize that for true change to happen in our lives and for true transformation and growth and freedom from sin and addiction and from the past, the things that can often hold us back from an exciting future, Lord, we, we recognize that there is no other way than You. Oh, there's discipline and there's working a little harder and faster and better than others. Yeah, we can get ahead that way, but it's not the river that brings life. That river that flows is, is that glory that we desire to, to live for, the glory of You. Living for Your purpose in all things. and More and more of You and less of ourselves. And, and that river starting point is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and that grace has saved us and it's that same grace that will keep us going until we're home. Lord, I pray for the friends here today. We're all facing an uncertain future. A year ago at this time, no one would have ever predicted the price of oil to be where it's at. No one would have ever 
seen what was coming with terrorism here in Canada or the threats of ISIS that's come out of nowhere or the spread of the Ebola disease even here in Kelowna. We don't know that our future is uncertain. But we can run to you. We can trust you and your word. and We come to you with humble hearts, repenting hearts, thankful hearts for your grace and mercy and going deeper and deeper into the great story of the gospel, the gospel we needed every day in our lives to be reminded of what you have done for us so that when life happens and people tick us off and, and, and we're frustrated with them, that, Lord, we would quick to realize how oftentimes we fall short with you. How we cross the line, how we go against your word. And you continue to grant us forgiveness and your mercy as we repent and as we confess our sins to you. And we have received that grace and so we extend it to others and we share it with others. Lord, I pray that throughout the course of this year we would remember that you are able. You are able this week. When we get back into the stream of life and busyness and work and different things that, that goes on that you'd remember you are able. That when it comes to unsaved loved ones or relationships that are just a mess, you are able. Mighty God of this universe is able to do immeasurably more in those situations. And sometimes those situations aren't going to get better. In fact, they may even get worse, but our trust and our dependence on you is growing and in the midst of the prisons we're finding ourselves in, there can be joy. Joy in the prison floor. Because it's living for your glory, not ours. Lord, may we see that strength that will just keep building in our lives and in this church in 2015 as we wait upon you. Like Paul praying these bold prayers, may we pray bold prayers for one another that Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna would be filled with all the fullness of God. That we would grow in love and go deeper and deeper in our love for one another in our acceptance and forgiveness of those who hurt us or offend us. May we be quick to make things right if we have taken part in that in our lives. May we just see an unleashing of your spirit here in this church, in this city, and around this world churches that proclaim the gospel. We love you, Jesus, and may we live for your glory.